It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Hey, we are going to have an amazing conversation throughout this morning. Got my friend Jeremy Grinnell with us. Dr. Jeremy Grinnell has his Ph.D. in systematic theology from Calvin Seminary. He taught at Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, the seminary there, for 15 years. He's a Bible teacher, a fantasy novelist, a stage and voice actor, and has his own amazing story of redemption. Check it out at bellowingofcain.com. Jeremy? You were here yesterday. We yes. Gotta, we got to stop meeting like this, yeah, bro. Yeah, no, everywhere you go. No, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Slushy roads, but it uh, it's good. Having coffee together here That's right. and just a good conversation about worldview. Yes. Do I have to have a worldview, Jeremy? Well, I don't know. I don't think you have a choice because you, you already have one. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So what is a worldview? Well, when we talk about uh, a worldview or views of the world or a world and life view, there's many ways it's been, uh, many ways it's been said. You're talking about your, your answer to a certain set of basic questions that generate in many ways your answers to, uh, to later questions. Uh, they're, you know, the great big questions of life. I've seen it uh, played out in uh, as four, four questions. The what am I? Like, who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, what is this place? What's the world really like? Uh, what's wrong with the world? And what's the solution? Mm-hmm. So that's those four questions sort of generate a lot of other things. James Sire, who's written uh, A Universe Next Door, A Basic Worldview Catalog, which is in its sixth edition, which ought to tell you how influential it's been. Uh, he lists seven you know, those questions and then things like, how do you know what's right and wrong? How do you know anything at all? What happens to humans after death? Uh, those really basic questions, because if you answer a question of what a human is in one way, um, well, you're, 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 it's going to lead you to one answer on, let's say, the abortion question. Mm-hmm. If you answer what is a human in a different way, you're gonna, it's going to lead you toward a different answer. On that question. So we, we all have things, beliefs that are uh, what are often called properly basic. They're so deep. They're starting places. It's often said you don't argue toward them, meaning you don't stack up proofs to make them and say, then I believe it. They're things you assume at the start and then argue from. Mm-hmm. You you get all your other beliefs out of them. And so that's what's, you know, some people will, you'll, you'll hear words not worldview so much, but you'll hear them all over the radio and all over the culture. Um, they're not exactly synonyms, but you'll know worldview is being discussed when people talk about like prejudices or biases or my way of looking at things or my perspectives, uh, my starting places. These are all kind of hints that people are talking about these, their answers to these basic deep questions. And we're not really, a lot of times we're not aware of what our worldview is. No, right? not consciously, because a lot of the, we, we actually spend most of our time thinking about the the more uh, the more distant questions, and it takes some time and thought to actually sit down and say, "Why do I believe it?" It's like playing a game with a three year old. If you were to say, you make any statement in the world, and as like a three year old, I'd ask you, "Why?" You'd say, "Well, because da 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 da," and then the three year old would say, "Well, why?" And then you'd back it up and go, "Well, because of this." Mm. And eventually, you'd get to a point where, out of frustration, you would just say to the three year old, "Enough, enough, enough." But in reality, you've reached a point where you don't have an answer. I believe it because it's it's just where I start. I mean, I may have reasons that I could articulate, but I don't necessarily believe it because of the reasons. If you took the reasons away, I'd still believe it. Hmm. I mean, ask yourself, why do you believe God exists? Mm-hmm. There are there are lots of proofs that have been offered, lots of logical arguments and things like that. But is that really why you believe God exists? 
If those were all taken away, would you cease to believe in God? Or if you could prove, make all those proofs absolutely certain, would that cause all atheists everywhere to fall to their knees and believe? No, because our belief or lack of belief in God is something we do or have or don't have even beyond the evidence. Mm -hmm. It's a starting place for us, whether we admit it or not. Hmm. So is not worldview informed by some evidences, things that we become convinced of? Yes. Worldviews are affected and formed by experiences, upbringing, education, books you've read, places you've gone, things you've seen. And it becomes a kind of feedback loop. Feedback loop. You know, you go out in the world with this set of assumptions. Um, if I go out in the world with the assumption that I can fly by flapping my arms and I jump off the roof of the radio station and break a leg, that experience now feeds back and hopefully modifies my belief about that I can fly. Mm-hmm. But when, since we're talking about such deep beliefs, things about like my identity, who, whether God exists, what the world is like, you're talking about such deep things that, yeah, it takes a lot of experience to, to shake those. Like how much, how much experience or evidence would it take, Perry, to get you to not believe God exists? Mm-hmm. I assume it is for me such a deeply held belief that I don't know that you could muster sufficient evidence to talk, merely talk me out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a definition here. Sure. Let, let's see what you think about this. And a worldview is like your mental roadmap for understanding life. It's a set of beliefs and ideas that shape how you see the world, that you think is important, and how you make decisions. Your culture, religion, experiences, all that stuff help create your unique worldview. It's like the filter, listen to this, it's like the filter through which you view and make sense of everything around you. That's that's exactly its function. And in that regard, if you say, how many worldviews are there? Well, there's, there's 8 billion because everybody has one and they're all slightly different, even though there are, as we will see, I assume in our conversations here, some broad cultural views of the world that we tend to share. And Christianity itself offers us a broad view of the world that Christians will have commonality on. But when you get down to the details, every person answers many of these questions differently. And what we want to be able to do is as best we can see the world real. We want to be able to see the world in a... As it is. As it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as it really is. And that's where a Christian worldview comes in. That's right. So worldview. Worldview is like the filter through which you view and make sense of everything around you. Yes. And there are probably 8 billion worldviews because there are 8 billion people in the world. That's right. We all have a unique worldview, but we want to see the world as it really is. And we think that's through a Christian lens, a Christian worldview. So let's talk about Christian worldview. And what are the central points of a Christian worldview? Well, what makes a a, a worldview a Christian worldview would be a, a set of answers to those basic questions. And it's usually summed up something like this, um, God, a personal God, a good creation, a fall into sin, a redemption, and then some will add a final consummation or reconciliation. Those, that those, those four concepts sort of generate all the other answers that Christians have to whatever they meet, all their experiences in the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, something like a good creation, you know, God made God made a world that was good. And so that's, so you run, you see Paul, uh, you know, talking about things like whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, 
do it to the glory of God, that God made food and sleep and um, relationships and things, good things for us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of a starting assumption that we don't look at the world first and say, oh, what an awful thing God did. We start with gratitude and receiving. And then, of course, we have to have a conversation about how have humans corrupted it. And then we begin to talk about the fall. So this, these categories inform when we meet something new in the world, what are we going to do with it? Mm-hmm. What does it look like? How are we going to receive it or not receive it? Um, that the a Christian worldview um, addresses our answers to those questions or is our answer to those questions. So we have creation, fall, redemption. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Okay. Well, this, these are kind of the movement. The, the scriptures themselves tell a story of human history mm-hmm. that could be broken up into ch- these chapters. Mm-hmm. Again, you have this God who preexists everything, an eternal personal being. And we talked a lot about that yesterday when we had our conversation in the Trinity. That's kind of the starting place. What do Christians believe the world is like? Well, the first step of the world is, is that ultimate reality is personal. So it's a, it's a personal God. Mm-hmm. And so that informs all kinds of things about the way we view each other and ourselves. And that this good God then created good things. Well, that tells us why there's so many things in this world that we enjoy that are lovely and pleasing and satisfying and pleasurable because a good God created goodness. But then we talk about the fall into sin, which is not just a story in Genesis, but is also, it, it's not less than that, but it is becomes the explanation to Christians for why we meet misery and suffering and sorrow in the world. It's because of the fall. Mm-hmm. And then the chapter of redemption, which tells us that there, this good God goes about restoring fallen mm-hmm. things. And mm-hmm. so when we meet brokenness and chaos in the world, a Christian view of the world's first response is, what would God have us do there? Mm-hmm. How would God have us repair and redeem that brokenness, whatever it is? Yeah, and then we have consummation. Yes, we, we hope. Believe, we believe in a day when all the sad things will come untrue. That's right, and that's why hope plays such an important part of a Christian worldview and uh, because it drives us onward because we will, in all the areas of brokenness in life, we only meet limited redemption now. God is faithful and good to bring redemption in all of our brokenness, but there is hope that even the, the, the leftovers, the remaining, that can't get fixed now because people die, people move, situations change, the fall continues. But one day we have hope that God will repair all things. How can we kick the tires to see if this thing is real, to to see if we're seeing the world in a way that is the way the world really is. Yeah, well, there's that's a tricky question because in one sense, there is a sense in which you can't because the world, if the worldview, your view of the world is made up of your starting places that you can't get behind, it's not like you could use science to prove them because science itself isn't one of the assumptions that your worldview gives you. You believe science works. So in that sense, there really is no getting behind it. What people, what you instead have to think about is, well, number one, none of us have, it's not about having a Christian worldview or not having one. Most Christians have a a worldview that is partially Christian and partially influenced by everything else. That's all of us. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to be, to have your view of the world continue to be more and more and more shaped by the Christian story. So a world, a Christian worldview is, is aspirational in the sense that we're all working toward it, but we're all at different stages of the journey. So what most people will talk about, if you're trying to like, how do you know which worldview is true or which one is right? The tools are different. The, the ones that are the one, the two that are most available to you are what's called correspondence and coherence. 
Correspondence is the idea that whatever you're believing doesn't match what you're meeting in the world, doesn't match your experience, like the whole jumping off the building and flying thing. After that experience, I realized that I really can't fly. It didn't correspond to the actual world I'm in. Mm -hmm. I mean, the universe pushes back against our worldviews. Coherence is kind of the logical one. Does belief A, belief B, and belief C all fit together without conflict? Because presumably if you've got A, B, and C and they're all in conflict with one another, well, that's probably an indicator that the worldview's got some problems. Mm -hmm. And it's not that every worldview is going to be, all of our worldviews are going to be entirely consistent all the time. None of us are capable of that. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're evaluating someone's view of the world and they're believing contradictory things, we landed on the moon and we didn't land on the moon. Well, how do you believe both of those things at the same time in the same way? That's conflicted, which is a sign that that worldview's kind of in trouble. Yeah. Okay. So let's just say creation. Yes. God, God spoke. God, in the beginning, God created. Mm -hmm. And science tells us that the best that we know is that the universe came into existence. Time and space came into existence through a big bang, through an explosion. Mm -hmm. And so that, that seems to correspond with what the, the Bible tells me in the beginning, God created and so that would that would lend credence. It's it certainly yes. It would certainly be one way of interpreting you know that evidence when you can when you when those evidence pieces begin to fit together in ways that make sense. That's in a sense affirming of your worldview commitments. When you can't make sense out of them and your worldview gets challenged because of you know something awful happens to you or something falls apart or you meet a new piece of evidence or something to that effect, it begins to push back and we begin to. If it's strong enough, we begin to enter a state of crisis. Mm-hmm. When your basic worldview assumptions begin to uh, get challenged by the universe, it's a very disturbing thing. It, it's it's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so if the Christian worldview is believing in creation, fall, redemption, consummation, the resurrection has to be a big part of this. Well, so, Paul says so. If Christ isn't raised, you know what's, what's your faith worth? So if there's good evidence for the resurrection— that affirms the the redemption part of it. Oh, it certainly does. In yeah. fact, if yeah, the re, the re, resurrection is the central miracle of history. And if you don't believe in miracles, like if you reject the supernatural outright that it doesn't exist, well, then it'll be very difficult for you to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. It seems to me that if the resurrection is true, then the Christian worldview is true. It that would certainly be one of the strongest pieces of evidence you could offer. Yes. And so, why do you believe that Jesus resurrected. Well, again, if it's a worldview assumption, there, it's not that, it, that I don't have reasons or evidences that I can offer, but my belief doesn't necessarily rest on those. My belief precedes it. This is a very ancient way of thinking. The way the modern world or scientific method wants us to think is that when you gather enough evidence, you reach a conclusion and then you believe. And there are things in the world that work that way. Many of the most important things in the world, Anselm, the great church theologian, argued this way. He said, you have to almost believe them before you can see the evidence for them. Mm-hmm. It's only from the inside. So once I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, all of the facts and data that have been floating around there forever suddenly begin to crystallize and correlate in a way that goes, oh, yeah, it does make sense. Um, the, uh, the, there's a great philosopher, William James, beginning of the 19th century, who was no friend of Christianity, who said, if there is a true proof that God exists, that actually works and everything, only a Christian's going to find it because they're the only ones who are standing in a position to see the evidence for what it is. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense that your, your worldview commitment, it, 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 it informs how you see the world and then the world pushes back against it. Okay. And in that struggle 
you find out whether it can stand. Whether it can stand. Okay. And if it can't and it falls apart, I mean, that's an existential crisis. And then you, you'll hear people who will throw their faith away or will come to Christ, the opposite, because of some great and dramatic experience that overthrew their world. So let's start from, you know, Perry's birth. I was born at Community Memorial Hospital in Sheboygan. And how did my worldview yep. develop from there? Very good. You put, well, you put your finger on one of the, I think, probably the most um, misunderstood aspects about how this works. And I remember seeing this in students all the time is the assumption that we come into the world and we sort of have this blank slate and we begin to build our world to gather evidence and then build our worldview sort of up yeah. from scratch. And that's not actually how it how it really happens. Um, when we come into the world, um, we are already predisposed toward and against all kinds of things by everything from genetics to environment to the way we're raised to our home of origin to our, our racial economic conditions. All of these things, even before we begin to think as very young children begin to influence us in such situations such that you begin to think that the silverware that you your parents use on the table is the right kind of silverware. I mean, it affects all of this and it's all precognitive. None of it's chosen in the sense that it just sort of comes upon us. So isn't the silverware I use the right silverware? Well, in your case, it was. Yes, that's absolutely right. No, I, I use that example because I actually remember as a child going over to a friend's house and having exactly that experience. The, the fork had, had didn't have enough tines, tongs, tines on it, and it felt weird in my mouth. And I'm like, why are these people using the wrong silverware? Mm -hmm. Well, that's all precognitive. You didn't choose it. So you sort of come into the world and this world you kind of gets built up around your set of assumptions about how the world works. And then what happens is as a child and then a teenager and then as an adult, we go out into the world and try to live these assumptions. Mm -hmm. And then the universe pushes back. We begin to discover evidence for and against people saying this or that. We have experiences that confirm or undermine those assumptions. And, it, and at that point, evidence and uh, experience and things like that begin to create a feedback loop. And we begin to realize, oh, these things I thought were certain, maybe they're not. Mm -hmm. Or things I thought were questionable actually have an answer. And so the evidence plays a really critical role, but it does so kind of on the other end uh, because we don't start blank slate. We yeah. kind of, when, when we wake up, whatever that means, conscious in the world as a young person and begin to think about the world, uh, we discover that we already believe things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a journey. It really is. A worldview world is a journey. Is a journey. And so it's a journey to, to be able to see the world as it really is. And Paul, this, Paul, of course, couldn't use the language of worldview, but he, it is, it, to some degree, it is what he's getting at in Romans when he talks about having a mind that is renewed. Mm. The point of, you know, you don't like get a Christian worldview, like you wake up on sun, one Sunday and go to church and boom, you get one. It's not something that happens magically when you come to Christ. It's a gradual process of conforming one's mind, breaking old patterns of thought where mm. we realize, oh, well, this is inconsistent with what Scripture teaches or what Jesus said. And so I now have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Am I going to adjust my beliefs to what Jesus says or am I going to persist in what I've always thought was the case. Yeah. And so it, the worldview sort of develops and grows and changes. Oh, yeah. man, I'm starting to understand this stuff. I'm wow. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so a Christian worldview is the belief that there's a story. Yes. God is writing a story that God existed from eternity in a community of love, that he created the world out of love, that there was a fall, that 
redemption, a story of redemption, and then consummation, a day when all the sad will become untrue. And so how, how I started forming my Christian worldview was seeing my parents mm. come alive to Jesus. I mean, they were church-going people, but it was just a segment of their life. Mm. And then Jesus just came crashing into their lives and became everything to them. And that's why I say when people have these, when the universe pushes back hard enough that our basic assumptions get gets challenged, it is a kind of a crisis. And so I can imagine your parents kind of going through this existential crisis about we 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 thought religion could just be a part of our, our life. And now yeah. Jesus has done something, has pushed back, and now we realize that's inadequate. Yeah, he's all-consuming. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 10 years old, on the playground at Eastside Elementary, another student shared the gospel with me, and mm. literally the Holy Spirit, the love of God was poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit. So that that, yes. be, that formed me. Absolutely. And then when I was 16, I was, I was filled again with the Holy Spirit, a, a, a dramatic filling of the Holy Spirit. And then when I was 18, another experience like that. And so I had, by the time I was 18, I had truly encountered Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ. And so when I went to Olivet College and I started getting pushback about the Christian worldview, (laughs) I just, I was absolutely rooted Mm -hmm. in the Christian worldview because I had experienced the risen Jesus. That's right. And so the amount of evidence that it would take to shake you now that your worldview has begun to settle, you've had these experiences and thoughts that have really confirmed these beliefs, the amount of evidence that it would take to shake you, Perry, out of that is it's probably pretty significant. I mean, I yeah. don't know that I could muster enough evidence to make you believe that Christianity is false and God doesn't exist. Well, because I encountered Jesus, right. I then was able to then look at the evidence. Okay, so I've had these experiences, but do these experiences uh, conform to reality? Mm-hmm. You know, did Jesus really live? Did he really die? Did he rise again from the dead? And so I began to just... Uh, you know, strengthen my worldview as I became more convinced and more convinced that it was true. So and it's possible to change a worldview. It, it is. It's difficult, but it is. And yeah. and this is why even a person coming to Christ, like an atheist, to be converted, they're not often converted by stacking up a lot of data. Mm-hmm. You know, in your case, you said it. The Holy Spirit comes and does something and changes. Wow. And, and so that's how it happens. And then once that change happens, that person's eyes are open and they begin to see God everywhere. Yeah. We try to change people so much. Yeah, not our job. Yeah, we try to be the holy. Job. We try to be the Holy Spirit, right. and we just need to testify. Come yep. on, can I get a can I get a witness, Jeremy? That's exactly right. Witness to what? That's John, First John. What we have seen and heard and tasted and handled about the Word of Life. That's what we're sharing mm. with you. So, Jeremy, yes. worldview. Yes, got a question for you again. What is unique about a Christian worldview compared to the other worldview choices that we have? Well, what's interesting is every piece that we mentioned, cre- a good creation, a historical fall, brokenness, and the possibility of redemption, every one of those is actually unique to Christianity. There's not another religion or worldview out there which really uh, posits an original good creation that God sides with creation against brokenness and chaos. And so the world is this, this manifestation of divine glory and, and that there was a point where humanity undid it all. 
broke it all in half. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, what you do with Jesus redemptively is unique to Christianity. So almost every one of these points is unique to Christianity. Every one of them contains, I mean, if you want to compare it to would be probably the most common or recognizable worldview uh, to most listeners would be the, 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 that of say the secularist atheist who believes that the universe is all that is and all that ever will be no supernaturalism, no miracles. There's no God. The universe is self-contained. You might call this the modern worldview naturalism. There's no supernaturalism. Mm -hmm. It's just nature. Well, there is no creation is neither good nor evil there. It just is. It's what's, it's what's evolved. It's what's happened. Mm -hmm. So you see how the answer has changed. There is no fall. The pain and suffering we have in the world is just the product of how the world evolved, how the, how the world has come to be. And of course, there's no such place thing as redemption because there's no place to go. Mm-hmm. So you see how the, the Christian view of the world changes the very, those three categories, creation, fall, redemption, change the very way you understand what's going on in the world that would make it almost the exact opposite of what a, an atheist, secularist, or even an agnostic might see in the world. And so as, as Christians... We believe we're seeing the world as it really is, and we're we're continuing to grow into that. Sure. It's something that, you know, we don't just, we're not born into a Christian worldview, even if we're no. born into a Christian family. It's why we need to be converted. Like, yeah. we, it, you know, we, we, it's it, this, the Christian worldview is something that uh, grows within us. And uh, you might even, this, this is overstated, but if, you, if you're familiar with the idea of sanctification, being made holy, this, this growth in grace, worldviews develop like that. Yeah, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. There are competing worldviews. So talk about first modernity. Oh, sure. The modern world, Mm -hmm. the modern worldview, and then post-modernity. Yep. So start with modernity. I love saying that. Well, and I can actually back you up one. Uh, We can talk as well, just for contrast, about pre-modern worldviews. And that simply means like the Middle Ages and the high church, things like that. But what happened in the late 18th century, and it lasted all through the 20th century, dominated the 20th century, was what came to be called modernity or the modern age, the age of reason, the enlightenment. And it was a view of the world that that pretty well uh, pushed away denied all supernaturalism. Like the universe is a self-contained thing. This is the, where the rise of modern science got, 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 got its push, um, where everything within space and time is understood by something else within space and time. There's nothing outside it to bust in. So because the idea of a God breaking in, supernatural. The idea of dead men coming back to life, supernatural. So they didn't like it. And it was a wildly successful worldview. I mean, the modern age with its, with those commitments gave us everything from modern vaccines to men on the moon to 747s to, uh, to your, you know, your laptops. It was a wildly successful worldview on the one hand. On the other hand, it also showed some real significant cracks because people began very early on, began to realize that if the universe is all there is, then what does that mean to what it means to be human? We're just products of random chance plus time. What does that mean to good and evil? What does that mean to the purpose of life? And uh, so many began to sort of despair and, and look again. And, and so there was this movement 
that began, I mean, when it began is difficult, but away from modernity that we are now living through. In fact, it has been said that the change that we are experiencing right now as modernity rapidly fades and this thing that's coming after it, we don't even have a name for it. All we can call it is after modernity, post modernity, Mm -hmm. because it hasn't settled. We don't know what it looks like. And we're in the throes of it. And some have said that it is as significant a culture shift as the fall of Rome or the Reformation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the time when you get to be alive. And what, what happened was post-modernity began, began to be a kind of response to those weaknesses in modernity. People began to realize that, well, maybe science doesn't have all the answers. Maybe the world is bigger than just, you know, cause and effect. And it could, could that be then a time of great opportunity? Because Absolutely. people are, are more open to the supernatural. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of how the Bible during the modern age... Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible was destroyed by like the higher critics in yep. Germany and started calling Jesus a myth and a lot of the, you know, getting rid of all the supernatural things in the Gospels. That's right. That's where very all typical, of that very typical from. of the modern age. Yes. Yeah. And the nice, the, the wonderful thing is C.S. Lewis once said we, he thought, and he was, he was right in the throes of modernity. Mm-hmm. He said, we may have to convert people back to paganism before we can convert them to Christianity just yeah. so, so they can believe there's something beyond the universe. And lo and behold, he was right. You look around now because the world has shrunk. We now have, we're exposed to Eastern religions and Native American spirituality and, and, and every other kind of thing. It's all right in front of us now that people's views of the world have kind of become this hodgepodge of naturalism and supernaturalism and a belief from here and a belief from there. And that's all that that kind of chaos is kind of what makes postmodernity what it is. This sounds like the first century. A little bit, yes. And how Christianity broke in mm-hmm. and transformed the Roman world. We actually, you, you put your finger on it. This is a time of real opportunity for Christ's church because people are more open to conversations uh, about their own story. Right. And if you earn the right, you sit down with someone and listen to their story, listen to them, explain their view of the world, even though they don't know that's what they're doing. You earn the right to then share yours. And people are very comfortable now saying, well, this is what I think and what the world looks like. What do you think? And if you've listened compassionately, you you will earn the right to speak. And that was that's much that's much more openness than you would have found, say, in the atheism of the 20th century. Wow. Lord. Even today, Lord, open a door, open a heart, open my mouth, help me to build relationship, help me to share your love, and help me to not try to be the Holy Spirit because there's only one Holy Spirit who can change people. So we got a question from Chris, Mm -hmm. and Chris is a great friend of ours, and he says, worldview is something I first heard about back in college as an adult. I now have four beautiful kids, ages 8 to 14. I love this conversation, but how do I translate this out of the academic conversation? How do I frame it for my kids? Oh, great question. Because at the end of the day, if we can't communicate this and if we can't figure out a way to live it out and help other people live it out, what's the point of it? So this is a great, a great question. And let me give you a method. This, this is a method both for uh, uh, developing a more Christianly view of the world yourself, as well as teaching others like your children to do it. Excellent. And, and the way it usually plays out is it, this idea of creation, fall, redemption, consummation is not just the outline of the Bible or the outline of history. It's not less than that, but it's more. It's actually a method by which you can um, 
analyze just about anything you meet. And an example I'll often give, let's say you're talking with a, a young lady who's struggling with an eating disorder or a person who has in some way uh, compromised their sexuality or something and they've, they've suffered because of it. Well, the way a Christian worldview might be brought to bear on those questions would be something like this. What good was God intending to do through the gift of food or human sexuality? So you start in creation. What goodness? What was God's intention? What gift was God giving us? How did God intend it to be? Then you move on. Well, what? how has the fall compromised it in the sense of how have we corrupted this and how do we use it? How have we used it for evil? And how have we broken ourselves and the world around us? Then you need to move on to the next question. How does God want to redeem it? What does redemption look like in your specific situation in regards to your sexuality or food or employment or whatever this topic is? And how do we have hope given that that redemption we won't experience at all here? So it becomes actually an outline for how you interact with with people's crises and with people's lives. You can use creation, fall, redemption, consummation as as kind of a matrix by which to bring the gospel to bear on just about any any question. I think, you know, sitting down with your kids, which I did a lot of times mm-hmm. when my kids were younger and we just talked about the word and and talked about the Christian worldview, I think what we're saying is we want to teach our kids this story. Yes. This is the story that needs to be told. You don't just you're not just born into it mm-hmm. and you don't just, you know, suddenly come upon the reality that I have a Christian worldview. So we need to teach, you know, there God created everything good. Mm-hmm. God has always existed in a in a community of love. And he wanted to share that with us. So he created a a good creation. And then there was a a fall. There Brokenness was, that came. Yep. There was a rebellion. Yeah, yep. You could use Star Wars, I yep. mean in that. And then God began this this great story of redemption that he had always planned. And then this story is headed somewhere. That's Someone right. And so beautiful. And the more you bring this model, this model of viewing the world to bear on specific questions, uh, particularly with your kids, you can talk about them like bullying at school or uh, the, the kinds of foods that you eat, you know, healthy foods versus not healthy. There's, if you, The more you bring these categories to bear upon the mm. breadth of human existence, yeah. the better you get, the more, uh, the more uh, accustomed you get to thinking Christianly about yeah, all these areas yeah. of life and thought. Yeah. So if we're looking at the eye, if we're looking at our world through a Christian worldview, then then we can just communicate it through that lens. Mm-hmm. We can communicate these principles. Yep. We these, can. Eat, you can go take a walk in nature with your kids and talk about the glory of God's goodness in giving us such a wonderful nature. But oh, look at the brokenness that we have brought on nature, and look how God wants to redeem it. You you can do that on a walk in the woods with your kids. Yeah, you can point to something beautiful and say, you yep. know what? In the beginning, there was this garden, and it was perfect. And then you could look at a dead tree and say, but there was, there was a fall. This is what we've brought on the world. Yeah. Let's go to a question here that we've gotten. We've been asking for questions today. And this person says, I had my worldview shaken last night when I learned that a rabbi, Solomon Friedman, owns the largest pornography site in the world, Pornhub. Wow. Along with nearly all other major pornography sites. So I don't know that he had his worldview shaken. Right. Oh, okay. I was thinking of the the fellow who owns the. Uh, yeah. How do you 
there you might have a good inconsistency in a good Jewish Judaistic worldview to be a Jewish rabbi and own porn sites. But yeah. but you're talking about the fella himself. Yeah, yeah. well, okay. let's go to the guy yeah. who owns the porn site. There are secular Jews, many sure. secular Jews, so he may not be a that's practicing... A, that's a very good point. That's yeah, a very good so point. he's actually has a postmodern or modern worldview? The, yes, po- postmodern worldviews tend to enjoy conflict. I mean, in, they, they can hold... Uh, they can hold conflicting things yeah. in them much better than, say, modern worldviews did. Or maybe a, a secular humanist worldview. Yes, view. yes. Okay, so but, yeah. so anyway, to this to this gentleman listener's mm-hmm. thoughts about it, was his worldview shaken? You could say colloquially, yes, in the sense that it, we use the language that way. Oh, my worldview was shaken because something unexpected happened. And that's fine. That's a certainly a legitimate use of the language. But technically, if you wanted to be speak about it technically, um, unless that was something very deeply held, like a presupposition of his, um, probably not necessarily his worldview changed. In fact, it's probably his worldview got affirmed a little mm-hmm. bit in the sense that the the horror and disgust that he felt by learning this fact was perhaps an expression of his Christian worldview because he's bringing to it because latently what's in that is God created human sexuality as a great good gift. But here we have an example of how humans have messed it up, have turned it to evil, uh, have turned it to self-destruction and hate and abuse. And the fact that he is responding with sort of horror and disgust to it actually says that he's probably responding to this fact in a way that's consistent with the Christian worldview. Yeah, absolutely. So the the view that there, there's been a fall mm-hmm. and has poisoned people, yep. has poisoned all of creation— and has led to, well, it led to God destroying the world in a flood. Yes. And there's going to be a, a judgment of Another evil. judgment one day. So yep. these are all pieces of my worldview that that explain, you know, why it, this rabbi would do this. It, it, it interprets that event. So because you could have an infinite number of responses to that fact. Your worldview is kind of the place where that response comes from. Yeah. So when we... When we learn about horrific evil that we hadn't conceived of and we have a Christian worldview, that's just another piece of evidence that our worldview is correct. That, yes, that, yes, that we, we, now have, we now have data or evidence for the fact that the world is even more broken than we thought it was. This is really what humans have done to God's good creation, and God has a right to be upset about it. Yeah. And so now the next question is, well, how do I act redemptively? How do I, as, a, as an image bearer of God, someone working on God's behalf in the world, someone commissioned with the gospel, the good news of redemption, how do I now bring that message to bear on this brokenness that I've just witnessed? And I, I don't have an answer for that in this well, man's case. but I do. Oh, go. Great. I do. Let's stop. Let's really stop by the Holy Spirit's help objectifying women. Oh, yes. Well, well said. And let's teach that. Yes, So these are practical. Absolutely. You bring that redemption to bear upon that brokenness. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real-life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.